Welcome to the Benton Museum of Art at Pomona College. My name's Maddie. Everything here is self-guided, but I do give a brief overview of the space just so you feel comfortable exploring. We have our main gallery spaces in here. We have Alison Saar, Sadie Barnett, Helen Pashiki, and then two more exhibition spaces down the hall to the right, art object specimen and cross-border photography. We also have in our lobby space, Ali Ali, and then for all of our spaces, we do allow photography. But the only space that is off limits is Helen Pashigan, but there is a sign there, and it also requests not to step on the white part of the floor, but you are welcome to go past the curtains, sit on the sofa, and there's a light cycle that goes for about three to four minutes. And then the last part are the restrooms, and they're just around the corner to the right. If you have any questions throughout your visit, don't hesitate to ask. Thank you. First of all, please call me Jeffrey. Um, and um, second, and you will hear about this more, is I, part, I was a part of a very large team. So I'm not quite comfortable with saying that I was in charge of the design. Instead, I um, just want to make sure that you know, everyone understands that this was, a, this was an enormous effort with many, many important voices and collaborators in the project, some of whom I'm sure we will discuss. I'm a architect. I'm a, a partner at a firm called Machado Silvetti. Some may know us out in uh, your neck of the woods for the work that we did at the sort of major renovation and revitalization project at the Getty Villa in the Pacific Palisades. This was a project done about 15 years ago that came on the heels of the new Getty Center in LA. Um, the villa uh, really was the sort of home of Mr. Getty and is now the center of antiquities for the um, for the Getty. I encourage everyone, if you haven't been out there, to go and see that um, wonderful and beautiful um, museum. Um, I've been at the office for about 14 years. I started there as a designer. After I had graduated from school, um, I went to uh, the Harvard University Graduate School of Design in Cambridge. Prior to that, I uh, received architecture degrees from the University of Idaho um, as well. Thank you. Yeah. And I've been to the Getty Villa plenty of times, many times, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, the villa is um, beautiful. And I actually did not work on that project. It was completed before I started at the office. But Jorge Silvetti, who was a principal designer for this project at the Benton, um, and who is a co-founder of my firm, um, he was the lead designer for the Getty Villa. So I'm curious before we get into the specifics of the Benton Museum of Art at Pomona College, what is sort of the relationship between art and architecture, like broadly, but then also specifically in a museum space? How does the architecture of a building kind of relate to the work that a curator would do? in the space? Um, Hannah, I think we're going to be here for a long time um, with this question. Uh, it's a very exciting, it's a very exciting question. I think it must be something that you think about a lot. Um, it must be something that uh, people who use um, and visit and work in museums must think about a lot. And I, I imagine it's something that um, you know, the, the listeners to this podcast would think um, a lot about. And it certainly has been um, an important question for many architects and artists over, you know, really generations. 
I think um, something that for me is very interesting about art and architecture is that uh, they are both expressive and communicative, um, meaning that they both look like something and that something tends to mean something to different people who look at it. And, you know, this is true of art, um, any really any form of art and architecture being um, included you know, in that. And I, w- I would say what's been interesting there is that this sort of way a thing looks and what it means um, both can confirm or challenge you know, prejudices or one's understanding of the world. And um, sometimes we don't, sometimes some people don't think about architecture as sort of participating in how people feel about the world. But as an architect, I believe it is um it is sort of inevitable that architecture affects how one understands their place in the world and their values and what the values, um, you know, of an institution or of a museum or of a community might also be. That reminds me a lot about kind of this past year I was living in my Los Angeles suburb and it definitely shaped the way I felt about day-to-day life. And then moving back on campus, there is this shift in how I'm, I'm guess I'm thinking about things that I'm noticing. And yeah, that is very true. I feel pretty privileged because I'm one of the first interns to actually sit and work and inhabit this space on a regular basis. But could you tell our listeners about a little bit about the Benton's floor plan and what makes this building so unique? Yeah, and I would, I would, I would love, I would definitely do that, and I would also love to hear what you think about the Benton, Be, because it's been a while since I've been there, and um, during design and during construction, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I think that was quite a, that was a multi-year process, but it's been over two years since the building was more or less finished. Um, but owing to, you know, the pandemic, there hasn't been a lot of action until recently. Um, at the museum. So we're looking forward to openings and community events that celebrate this new institution coming in the fall, hopefully. But in the meantime, you know, you you know the building now sort of firsthand in a way that I don't. And I'm super interested to hear your thoughts about it as well. Yeah. So upon first impression, it feels very suited to interaction. There's a lot of common spaces between employees, like in the staff area, and even between the gallery spaces in the actual uh, art viewing areas of the museum, there's a lot of opportunity to interact with people coming in from other galleries, and it doesn't feel segmented off. There's a lot of natural light. Yeah, and also the more academic spaces are readily accessible by view of people coming from the galleries or from the sort of more staff oriented spaces. I, I love that. I love the words that you're using interact. I mean, it feels so good because you're like confirming some of our hopes, let's say for the, for the project, the point that you make about interaction of sort of people coming and going, I think is really exciting. And it reminds me um, that we um, sort of a, a central idea to the architecture, to the, the plan, let's say the sort of the floor plan or the organization of the different rooms and spaces and programs 
we were very much inspired by the layout of the overall campus, right? So uh, for those of the listeners who know the campus and sort of the layout, the museum is on the west side of College Avenue, which is opposite the street from the main campus, um, which is towards the, you know, on the east side of College um, Avenue. And, but Marston Quad, which is just north of the museum site, you know, is defined in its incredible grandeur of its, you know, common space. But what we really loved about it was the buildings along the north and south side and all of the arcades or sort of public outdoor passageways that almost like stitch all of these buildings together. So you have like the Smith Campus Center on the north, on the south, Little Bridges, and even the um, quadrangle that Thatcher and the, and the former home of the Pomona College Museum of Art used to sit. And uh, Myron Hunt, who was the master planner of this back in 1908, he insisted and, and ensured that this kind of organization of the campus where there are these exterior arcades that go through buildings and then in between buildings and then into courtyards and other spaces was you know, consistent and maintained. And what that resulted in is a series of small spaces, some outside, some inside, some partially outside or inside, but all connected through these uh, circulation arcades. And I've noticed when I've been on the campus that when I'm in one of those courtyards, occasionally there's someone who might walk through who doesn't like bother me or what I'm doing in that courtyard, but I'm aware that there's other, you know, other activities. And then perchance you can stop, you can chat, you can meet someone new. Um, And so it's this kind of collection, like you're saying, of many types and sizes of common spaces that create this sort of this canvas, if you will, for these interactions. That reminds me a lot of my interactions on campus now, though there aren't a lot of people there. I do have the opportunity of running into folks, especially when I'm walking my dog. I have my small little dog with me on campus and we're constantly running into other dog walkers or students or staff of the campus. And it is like really uh, well suited to those kind of spontaneous interactions. There's one thing in the plan. And again, it'll be so wonderful when people get to go there. I know you're, you have some, you've been having some exhibitions and some sort of reserve, reserve time slot showings in the museum. Um, so, you know, that's, that's wonderful for who's ever been able to take advantage and I can't wait for others to see it. But there's some things that you can see if you just walk by. One is the courtyard, sort of the central courtyard in which the building is organized around the courtyard, sort of obviously coming from the history and the tra- tradition of courtyards around the Pomona College campus. But on the on the back of that courtyard, you can look through the big wall of glass and see what we've called what we call the art hall in our design. And the art hall is a 180 foot long, essentially corridor or hallway. One side of it faces the uh, courtyard. The other side of it is essentially a gallery wall. And this 180 foot long art hall is kind of our idea of the arcade of the college campus. And along that art hall, there are several sort of main events, let's call them. There's the main entrance, there's the collection of the four main galleries, there's the courtyard, the event space, the vaults, the offices, right? So this one element kind of stitches all of these different parts together in a way that we think will be very familiar and recognizable to the college uh, community. But um, one other thing about the galleries that I think is really 
interesting and I just wanted to share is in the former museum, well, when it was called the Pomona College Museum of Art and when it was you know, located across the street, it had um, essentially three galleries. And these galleries were all kind of in a cluster um, where you kind of walk through one to get to the other. The new museum has uh, six galleries in addition to many other spaces. It was the kind of vision of Kathleen Howe, who was the former director of the Pomona College Museum of Art and really the, sort of the, the, the visionary behind the project when we were working on it. It was her vision that there would be sort of galleries that resembled the scale and size and dimensions and graciousness of really major museums that you would find anywhere in the world. So there are big, there are big galleries and they're arranged in a way that they can be curated in many different ways. You can move through one after the other. You can go through one and not the others, you know, et cetera. But then and those those big galleries are clustered in one part you know, again, accessed off of the art hall. Then somewhere else off the art hall, you'll find that there are two other galleries. And these are smaller galleries um, with slightly lower ceilings. And they're called curricular galleries, or at least this is what we called them when we were designing. And these galleries were there in, in, in Kathleen's vision to be a, a place where students or other interested um, people affiliated with the you know, institution could sort of curate their own shows, utilizing work from outside the museum or work from the museum's collection. And so in, the, in this way, you get both the like kind of grand gallery experience of a major museum and also the kind of experimental gallery experience of a collegiate museum, both with their own identity, both with their own sort of access. And, and of course, you know, for sort of blockbuster shows, um, Rebecca and, you know, the, the curatorial crew there at, um, at the, at the Benton can really kind of do a powerhouse show that utilizes all the galleries as well. Yeah. And it definitely does feel like a very large scale, prominent LA museum. But then when you walk outside, you're on a college campus. And I definitely am eager to see how students who are able to utilize the space in person um, kind of internalize that experience and see how it might change the way that they work inside the galleries or encourage them. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the collection spaces themselves and how those are also used as teaching tools. Yeah, sure. So it's not unusual and, you know, and you know this for museums to have sort of extensive collections that are buried in rooms that the public never gets to see. And sometimes these are called like art vault or, or archival you know, storage rooms. <laughs> These rooms tend to be very large and they also have very high requirements for their ventilation and humidity control systems to, you know, obviously preserve the artwork over many, many, many years. Um, prior to this this new building, the Benton's art collections were dispersed across campus. Um, they were different buildings um, that were that held um, part of the archival collection. Even if you you know in the basement of Bridges, um, there was an archive space down that red carpeted stair with the velvet handrails down in the basement below the auditorium. That was a major archival space. All of those works have since now been moved to this new building and are now on site. So one of the major things about the museum is just that it's for the first time brought all of the art collection to a central location, thus making it more accessible um, and more secure for the for the um, community. Um, but specifically in the plan, because this is a um, 
a, coll- a collegiate museum or museum, you know, on a college campus, it is really important, we think, and so did the, uh, so did you um, at Pomona College, that the archive should also be an asset for the education of the students. And this meant making sure that students and curators and directors and and even school bus children coming from regional schools could have access to the work, not only that was hanging in the galleries, but that was residing in the um, in the archival rooms. And for us, this meant we created a, a rather unique sort of set of rooms. There's something called a portal. The portal is a it resembles a classroom in a way, but it's a essentially a gallery with a desk in the middle. And this gallery classroom is directly connected to the archive. And you can move art um, freely between the archive and this sort of study space or the study portal. Now, freely, I should say, uh, not freely, freely. They're still handling requirements, you know, and it's very, it's very carefully done. But um, it, it's right there. So the proximity you know, allows for students to engage directly with pieces of art that are brought in. But also the vaults themselves are spacious enough that you can bring groups of students into the vaults directly. And there are racks, there are wall racks in the vaults in which um pieces of art that generally don't make it out to the gallery on a regular basis are hung so that people sort of taking a tour through the vaults also have access to this other set of um, work. By the way, if anyone is wondering where these are, because you might walk past the building and wonder where in the world could these giant, you know, vaults be, there is a basement to the museum that is largely unnoticed that from the exterior, but that houses sort of the the large collection of artwork. Yeah. So, I mean, if this isn't a a, a plug for just coming into the space and making a reservation to come see all this. That's what we designed the building for, for people to go see and for you to work at, of course. But so it's been it's been very um, it's been very sad to not to for people to not have that opportunity for the past year and a half. We just can't wait until it fully opens. And in the meantime, definitely make a reservation and go see it. <laughs> yeah. And kind of in that vein, I'm curious about your thoughts um, and I guess reflections about the types of considerations y- you and your team made when deciding the location for the museum. And this is because there are a couple of communities that the museum serves, the academic community, but then also the residential community. We're very close to the Claremont Village. I I go and get a smoothie oftentimes before work. So yeah, if you could share a little bit about those types of considerations, that'd be great. Yeah. So I would just start by saying that we, I had the, this project started for us in 2014. Um, these kinds of projects, they take time and there's a lot of important decisions and stakeholder input that needs to go into it. But I just mentioned that to say that I was very lucky to be able to be in Claremont pretty often, staying at a couple of different hotels, depending upon whether or not, whether or not graduation ceremonies were happening or not, and whether there was any availability. But I was lucky to spend a lot of time in Claremont in the village and um, became very familiar with all of the little places to eat and smoothies and, you know, frozen yogurt. I just, I just love it there. So, so wonderful. And my walk always over towards the campus for meetings was always past the site down Bonita Avenue or Second Avenue, you know, through the village onto the campus. The site wasn't chosen by us. It was pre-decided by a group at the college that was led by a, a master planner 
Um, his name is uh, Scott Smith. And he did a master plan that finished in 2015 for the whole campus. And part of that was a recommendation for this site to be the new home of the museum. We think it's just a fantastic choice because it has the proximity to the college, but it also has this incredible proximity to the village. In fact, you could say it's somehow like in both areas. And on the village side, not only does it have proximity to the smoothie bars and the um, you know, restaurants and frozen yogurt, but it also is you know adjacent to the library and to the post office and to City Hall and to um, a new sort of urban park that's right there. And in a way, it, it participates in kind of the civic culture of um, Claremont. But it's a it's a great site to like to be to engage both kind of communities and. I don't know, in our in my thinking, kind of if you if you look at the programs, the kinds of buildings that a college needs um, and uses, an art museum is just a perfect building, perfect program to be a sort of interlocutor or a connector or connection with um, a community. Again, it has to do with what we were talking about earlier about the meaning of art and its ability to challenge or confirm, and that somehow the art and the and the experience of the museum is just a perfect way to initiate conversation and discussion and find commonality and like work towards something better, you know, in our future, like through this medium. And that, that's just a great, um, the museum is just a wonderful resource to encourage those kinds of interactions. I agree. There's been several times on my way to work where I running to the smoothie shop and I uh, look at the building and there's like a perfect window where I can see all the way through to the other side of the museum. And I often see some of the other museum staff walking around, getting ready for the workday. Sometimes guests feels like I'm in the space for a brief moment and it's like inviting. And On that note, um, I have one particular moment in the building that I just love. And um, and hopefully the who's ever listening, if they're in Claremont, they can just go there and see this you know, today on the uh, west side of the buildings facing the library. There is a new path that connects Second Street to Bonita Avenue. Before we did the project, you would have to walk through the library's parking lot to make that connection. But we've added a new path. This path is like many other of the mid block sort of passageways or sidewalks that you find throughout the village. So it's wonderful. You can kind of find yourself lost in the middle of blocks you know, in the village. But on this one that we added, we called the uh, we called it the art walk <laughs> as opposed to the art hall is inside. The art walk is outside. But the art walk does similar things in that as you move from Second Street to Benito or the other way, you get glimpses into the museum. So one of the glimpses is into an outdoor art patio that is accessed only from the inside. It's a secure space and it houses the um, houses Chris Burden's um, sculpture aptly named Raw Truth and Optimism. It's there. And so you can see it when you're walking just past the museum. Then just next to, and there's also a couple of benches there. So you can sit down on the bench and relax. It's shaded. Um, and sometimes of the day you can you know have this a sort of very intimate experience back there. Um, but then there's another window that you can look through as you're walking down this path. And that window uh, looks across the entry lobby and then into the galleries. So if you're walking across that window or walking by that window, you can actually see deep into the gallery space. And for me, this is very exciting and important because it means people just, like you're saying, on their way to somewhere else can get a glimpse. And this is not about a sign that says, hey, now that you've seen, you have to come and see the whole museum. It's more about 
an offering, uh, sort of a generous offering of the building for anyone who's moving around it to just have a moment of art you know, in their day. And I, I just think it's so, you know, wonderful. I actually think I may have walked on that path before. Yeah, and it, it is, But I mean, it's kind of a secret, like you've been there for a while now and you just may have walked down the path. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a special treat for anyone who can, you know, who, who finds it. Yeah. yeah, I definitely recommend looking for this, this path. Jeffrey, I'm really curious about the materials and everything that physically went into making the building happen. So we've kind of talked about the thoughts and like the sort of planning part, but what actually went into making this building happen? Um, well, I would I would just start with the team, um, as I mentioned earlier, of large team. So our office, Machado Savetti, we're in Boston. We were the design architect. We worked with another architect out of L.A., uh, a, a large office called Gensler. They were the sort of project architect or architect of record, but we our two offices worked together. And then we had you know structural engineers and mechanical engineers and lighting and you know all of these people on our on our team and then from the college just you know an incredible job from the facilities department from Bob Robinson and Brian Faber and from you know the board of trustees Janet Benton for whom the museum is named was involved very early in the design um, ideas uh you know and and contributed to the thinking of the project throughout so there's there was a lot of people uh, right that had um, input into it as far as the materials go it's a it's a concrete building, which is very um, much like a lot of the buildings built at Pomona College. They, there tends to be a lot of sort of cast in place concrete construction, which is both a result of the availability of that technology when the campus was originally being built, but also concrete is a wonderful material for this climate because of the way that it mitigates sort of heat gain and heat loss in the different seasons. And then it has, as you, if you notice the building, it has a kind of a portico or an arcade that is made out of a Western red cedar wood. The Western red cedar wood is a very common species to California. And here we used it and a a stained version of it to give a kind of a pop of color, if you will, or kind of an articulation to some of the, uh, an architectural aesthetic articulation to the kind of ways in which you get in and out of the building. I do want to also mention one thing about sort of a sort of invisible achievement of the building. The Pomona College has a very high standard for energy efficiency, sustainability. It's remarkable. There's the there's a department dedicated, department and facilities dedicated to sustainability on the campus. And we love that. We love sort of ambitions. And this museum is designed not only to hit all of the sort of most aggressive energy targets in California, but also has one of the lowest EUIs of any museum in California. An EUI is basically a measurement of the uh, amount of energy that the building consumes. And so for a museum, this is extremely efficient, among the most efficient museums built in California past 10 years. That's very, very impressive. That was our last question. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Any? I would just say that it was so wonderful to work at the um, at Pomona College and with the wonderful people who are there with the museum, with Kathleen and uh, with Victoria and with Steve Kamba and Rebecca and Gary. And these are wonderful um, people who I know well now. And um, I'm so glad that students are like yourself are able to engage and enjoying the building and kind of figuring out what you can do with it. And we just can't wait to see what, um, what happens with this building over its lifetime. And thank you. So thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, join you.
you so much for listening. Until next time. This episode was produced by Hannah Avalos with the consultation of Justine Bay Baez, Caroline Eastburn, Aaron Hogan, and Victoria Sancho Lopez. This episode was recorded by Hannah Avalos. This episode was written by Hannah Avalos and Victoria Sancho Lopez. This episode was edited by Hannah Avalos. A very special thanks to Jeffrey Burchard for being featured in this episode. Additionally, we would love to thank Xavier Williams Pomona College Class of 2022 for producing this original piece of music for Inside the Benton.